And we are before you, Lord, because of what your son did on the cross. Lord, as we look into your message that you gave us in Matthew 5, Lord, I pray that you prepare our hearts to what you have to say to us this morning. Amen. All right. As we begin today, I need two adult volunteers. Um, You get to eat one of these caramel apples. So I need two adult volunteers. Anyone? Come on. Should we? All right, John. John. All right, sweet. All right, anyone else? We need one other person. One other person. Are you volunteering yourself, Paul? All right, we'll just have John do it, all right? Um, John, since nobody, I was going to have you guys race to see who could eat one of these uh, caramel apples faster. But since nobody else volunteered, we're just going to have you race against time. All right? All right. Let me get my timer out. Hold on. All right, you ready? On your marks? Yeah, it's huge. Get set. Hold on. Hold on. Get set. Go. There's a garbage right there, John. What? There's a garbage right here. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Can you tell them what's wrong with that apple? (laughs) It's an onion. It's an Did that not look really good on the outside? Didn't it look delicious when you saw it? Yeah, it did, right? But on the inside, it was gross and nasty and not, not at all what you expected, right? No. Today, we're talking about the topic of lust. On the outside, lust looks really appealing and harmless. But once you see what's under the surface, you realize that lust is not what we expected and that is actually quite gross just like that onion. We're in the middle of a sermon series called uh, Life in the Kingdom, where we're walking through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew 5 through 7. And Jesus, in this sermon, is laying out how we as citizens of heaven are supposed to live. And in this particular part in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 5, Jesus is teaching a section that has six parts that follow a certain rhythm. They start off with the phrase, you have heard it said, and then Jesus lists one of the Ten Commandments, or, yeah, basically one of the Ten Commandments, and then he says, but I tell you, and he gives us his interpretation of what it means to live in the kingdom of God. The key to this section is found in verse 20, when Jesus says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, the rest of chapter 5 goes through commandments 6 through 10 and shows that the outward appearance of just keeping these commandments is not enough. Because that's what the Pharisees and law were doing. They were keeping more than just the Ten Commandments. They had all these lists of laws that they they were doing. But in their hearts, they were unable to even keep the Ten Commandments. 
Today we're going to dive into Matthew 5, 27 through 30 and look at one of these sections. But before we dive in, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we talk about this topic of lust, we know that it's difficult and uncomfortable. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to the things that you have to say, that we would embrace your truth and the things that you teach on these topics. And Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit and that you would help me to speak clearly and effectively, Lord, so that your truth could be in this room this morning. Amen. All right, so Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, You have heard it said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. So Jesus starts off this passage of Scripture by bringing up the topic of adultery. And he says something that pretty much everyone knows, that marital unfaithfulness is wrong, right? Everybody knows that. But Jesus takes it a step further and equates just looking at the opposite gender with lust. That's adultery in our hearts. Jesus here is addressing the fact that many of the people in his culture put on an outward appearance of looking like they were following God, but their hearts were far more interested in their own pleasure. Jesus broadens the definition of adultery and shows that sexual sin is far more than the act of just having sexual intercourse with someone you're not married to. Simply desiring another person and using their body as an object to fulfill your fantasies is just as bad. The reason for this is that our responsibilities as human beings made in the image of God is to have respect for those around us. And our duty as married couples goes beyond sexual faithfulness and demands that we pursue intimacy with our spouse. So in order to understand lust, we need to understand intimacy. But intimacy started back in the garden. In Genesis 1, verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our own image. God's image means that some of God's characteristics and his qualities are an inherent part of who we are as individuals. And the character that, of God that we have that's relevant for today is the fact that we were created for relationships. This is an important part of who we are. When God put Adam in the garden, he had Adam name all the animals, right? And the purpose of God doing that was for Adam to see, hey, all these other animals, the giraffes, like there's two giraffes, they have other giraffes, right? Pigs have two pigs, right? There's, there's more than one fish, but I'm the only one like me. And it made Adam realize that something was missing, and God's response to that was to put Adam into a deep sleep and take a rib out of his side. And out of that rib, he formed a woman. Now, this woman was something that was completely similar to him and at the same time completely different. 
right? Needless to say, when he saw her, he was excited. He now had an equal partner in life. And one of the, the cool verses in Genesis, it's the last verse in Genesis chapter 2. It's an editorial by the author of, Moses, of Genesis called Moses. He said this, Adam and his wife Eve were both naked and they felt no shame. This, I think, is one of the most important verses in this passage of Scripture because it shows that Adam and Eve had nothing to hide from each other. They were completely open and transparent with one another. And notice it doesn't say they weren't wearing any clothes. It says they were naked, which I think this refers not just to physical nakedness, but to emotional and intellectual nakedness. They shared everything. They completely shared life and experienced unity. A few verses earlier, that's called one flesh. See, Adam and Eve, they shared everything with each other. And that's what intimacy is. It's this ability to know your other, another person completely. And they know you. And yet at the same time, there's complete love and acceptance. And intimacy is not just a sexual thing. It's also an emotional, spiritual, and intellectual idea. That's what intimacy is. And for married couples, it's also a sexual thing. We are created for intimacy, first and foremost, with God, right? But it also applies to our friends and our spouse. One of the key elements, though, of marital intimacy is that God made men and women different in a way that complement each other. The way we desire intimacy is different. I think the two main ways that married couples experience intimacy is physical intimacy and emotional intimacy, right? Women tend to prefer or um, look for more emotional intimacy, and men are more about physical intimacy. And both of those are really good things. But the cool thing is, as we are both interested in, in each one and we love on each other, we have a complete emotional bond and a complete physical bond. And that's one of the awesome and most beautiful gifts that God has given to us, the, that ability to, to bond with another person on that deep of a level, right? But then sin entered. And I think sin has affected intimacy in two main ways. The first one is that intimacy is no longer something that comes naturally, and it now requires a lot of effort. Because of sin, we also have flaws that we're ashamed of, right? And we do things that offend and bother our spouses. And in order for intimacy to take place now, we have to practice things like confession and forgiveness. And neither one of those are easy things. Intimacy now takes a lot of work. And not just in a marital relationship, but with other people as well. Our ability to relate to other people is greatly hurt. And secondly, sin has hurt intimacy in that we now settle for a fake intimacy called lust. Lust at its core separates sexual attraction from emotional connection with another, with another person. And it it's you just, yeah, having a sexual attraction but not taking the effort to get to know a real person and allowing them to get to know you. It's fake. It's not real intimacy. 
I think lust has many different forms. The most obvious one that we think of when we, we think about lust is that idea that we just see, visualize an attractive person and we picture them naked or we visualize them um, in ways that are inappropriate. Notice, though, that this goes beyond just saying, hey, that's an attractive person, right? I think the ability to see beauty in other people is a gift from God. It's when we dwell on those things and we think about that person in a way that only somebody who's married to them should be thinking about them, right? Um, I think most, a lot of visual, that, that's typically the, the area where guys struggle with. For women, it can, it can be more of an emotional and mental fantasizing um, with, or about men that you're not married to. Right? They, they, women tend to lust more on an emotional level, right? I think a third way that lust takes form is in finding our value in whether or not we are in a relationship, right? We, we feel like the only way we have any value is if another person is in a relationship with us. And that is a false sense, and that's a false use of our, our sexual intimacy. And that's not real. Um, that's not where we get our value. Fourthly, through reading remote, remote, wow, romantic or erotic novels that evoke fantasies or arousal. That's a form of lust. And finally, um, oh, sorry, there's two more. Uh, emotionally connecting with strangers on the Internet through chat rooms is a form of lust. And finally, pornography is one of the most extreme forms of lust. Many people think that lust is harmless. But Jesus says clearly in Matthew chapter 5 that lust has a very destructive power in a person's life, right? And we will see that as we especially zoom in on the topic of pornography and see how that is really hurting our culture as a nation, in, I just want to sh- share some stats with you guys about pornography. Um, I, first service went a little long, so I trimmed like, a bunch of my stats, but I left them up on the screen. So I'm not going to mention everything that's up there, um, but they're still going to be up there. All right. Um, in 2005, a, a study of 688 adults aged 18 through 30 showed that 90%, 98% of those men and 80% of those women had seen pornography once in their life. And 68% of those men and 18% of the women said they used pornography at least once a week. An additional 17% of men and an additional 30% of women said they used pornography at least once a month. So if we add those two numbers up, we see that 85% of men according to this study, and 48% of women view pornography at least once a month in our culture. Um, In 2009, Michael Leahy did a study of 29,000 college students from North America, and he found that 51% of males and 32% of females viewed pornography before the age of 12. Um, In 2007, the... Um, University of Alberta in Canada surveyed 429 students ages 13 and 14 from 17 different schools across um, the state of Alberta, Canada. Um, And this is what they found. 90% of the boys and 70% of the girls reported accessing sexually explicit media at least once in their life. These are 13 and 14-year-olds. 35% 35% of the boys said they had viewed porn, pornog- pornographic videos too many times to count. 13 and 14-year-old boys. 
In 2011, a study published in the Journal of Sex Research showed results from interviews from 782 college students. On average, the first exposure to pornography among men is 12 years old. The U.S. Department of Justice issued this statement. Never before in the history of telecommunications media in the United States has so much indecent and obscene material been so easily accessible by so many minors in so many American homes with so few restrictions. The reason that this is so bad and and, uh, difficult in our culture is that um, studies have shown that in the past couple of years, the primary way that people are accessing pornography is through their cell phones. And a lot of teenagers have cell phones with internet access and their parents aren't doing anything to restrict them. Um, as we can clearly see from these statistics, pornography has become an extremely widespread thing in our culture, especially among teenagers and young people. And some, some people would argue that this is not a big deal and that lust and pornography, they're harmless things. But I disagree. And I want to show you some of the negative impacts that pornography has caused and is causing destruction in our culture. First of all, it rewires our brain. Your brain has a chemical in it called dopamine. Dopamine is a hormone that is responsible for helping you feel pleasure, right? When you're doing something that you enjoy, this hormone is released and your brain is like, ooh, let's keep doing that or let's do more of that, right? The problem is with continued exposure to porn, especially for long periods of time, your brain releases surge after surge of dopamine because there's so much pornography available on the internet and it's just a click away. It gives the brain an unnatural high, causing the brain to fatigue and it is not able to release the same amount of dopamine, leaving the viewer wanting more, but unable to reach the level of satisfaction. This is called desensitization, where everyday pleasures begin to lose their luster, including real sex. Secondly, um, pornography causes hypersensitized. Yeah, sorry, I changed the format of the sentence. Um, Like, the triggers that that are set off in our brains are hypersensitive. Um, Here's a quote from a guy named Dr. William Struthers. He says, Like a path that is created in the woods with each successive hiker, so do the neural paths set the course for the next time an erotic image is viewed. Over time, these neural paths become wider as they are repeatedly traveled with each exposure to pornography. They become the automatic pathway through which interactions with women are are routed. The neural circuitry anchors this process solidly in the brain. With each lingering stare, pornography deepens the Grand Canyon-like gorge in the brain through which images of women are destined to follow. So in other words, people who have been watching a lot of pornography, they're easily triggered and, and uh, driven to lust, right? Thirdly, the way it rewires our brain is that it decreases our willpower. As dopamine... Uh, receptors, which are located in the frontal uh, lobes of our brain, um, it, those changes take place in our brain. And what ends up happening is um, because those uh, receptors in the frontal cortex of our brain are responsible for our ability to make choices, we begin to lose willpower. 
And as a result, a person experiences urge, not a desire, an urge, but as an intense need. What do we call that when somebody is desensitized and needs more and more of something? They're easily triggered by it, or they, and they don't have the ability to stop and choose to say no. What do we call that? An addiction. Science has, has shown that pornography has become an addiction. Here's a quote from Dr. Jeffrey Sadenover. He said this before a U- U.S. Senate subcommittee on pornography on November 18, 2004. He said, Modern science allows us to understand that the underlying nature of an addiction to pornography is chemically nearly identical to a heroin addiction. Um, well, here, here's something that's even worse. There's, there was research done by a guy named Dr. Zillman um, that showed that the habitual use of pornography leads to a greater tolerance of sexual explicit material over time, requiring the viewer to consume more novel and bizarre material to achieve the same level of arousal. So in other words, like people who, who are addicted to alcohol just drink more and more alcohol. With pornography, it's not more and more pornography. It's different Pornography, which lead people into much darker types of pornography. Um, the third way that porn is very damaging is that it changes how we view the opposite gender. A study shown, uh, has shown that pornography consumers eventually compare their spouse, their boyfriend, their girlfriend, and just members of the opposite sex with images of porn models. Another study in uh, the Journal of Sex and Marital Therapy in 2002 found a similar result. When men and women were exposed to pictures of female centerfold models from Playboy and Penthouse, this significantly lowered their judgments about the attractiveness of average people. And going back to that, that quote about the Grand Canyon, about the, the brain waves, it says, With e- each lingering stare, pornography deepens the Grand Canyon-like gorge in the brain through which images of women are destined to flow. This extends to women that they have not seen naked or engaging in sexual acts as well. All women become potential porn stars in the, uh, in the minds of these men. So you can see, like, people that are struggling with pornography are unable to view women as people, but just simply as parts and objects, and that is, that is not cool. Fourthly, it desensitizes us to violence. In a 2007 presentation, three scientists released the results of their study of the top 50 top-selling DVDs. After analyzing the 304 distinct scenes in these films, they found that about 90% of them contain at least one act of aggression. These numbers give us a glimpse of the sexual education that pornography gives to those who watch it. Routinely, pornography depicts acts of aggression, cruelty, and degradation and teaches viewers that women enjoy these facts. And I think the sad part about that is if we look at how kids younger and younger are starting to see this before their, their brain is even ready or is even developed to understand sexuality, the images that they're getting is of very bad, degrading sexual images, not a loving intimacy that God intended for us. And finally, it's destroying marriages. In 2002, the American 
Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers reported 56% of divorces, 56% of divorces involved one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. So I hope you can see, I know there was a lot of stats and I just kind of threw a bunch of numbers at you, but I want you to clearly see that pornography and lust, they are not harmless. It is very destructive and causes many personal and relational issues. And I think that's why Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Right? He's saying this has the power to bring you down and to separate your relationship with God. Right? Here's the thing, though. I believe that lust is a behavior that we act out, but it's not the root of the problem. In other words, I don't think we have a lust problem. I think we have an intimacy problem. You see, God created us to want and to desire our spouse in both a sexual and an emotional and intellectual and a spiritual way. Those are good things, right? When I desire my wife and I desire to connect with her on an emotional and a sexual level, that's a good, healthy thing, right? God designed us that way, to have that emotional and even sexual intimacy. Those are gifts. The problem is that when we're not getting the intimacy we're created for, we start to look for it in other places, causing the behavior of lust. But you see, the problem is not the behavior. The problem is in our heart. And this is clarified when we look at the difference between information, knowledge, and beliefs, right? Information is just data, Information that is applied and we come to know about it through study, reflection, or just personal development. That becomes knowledge. But a belief is when we apply the knowledge that we have. Beliefs are the things that we hold true deep down inside of us which drive our actions. And that can be for good or bad. And I think many of us have beliefs deep down inside of us that are false, that are lies. We believe lies that drive us to the behavior of lust. We believe lies like, I'm not worthy of true love and intimacy. We believe lies like, I can get what I need through lust. We believe lies like, I'm so addicted that there is no hope for me. Or the lies of, I don't trust God to give me what I need so I'm just going to take it. In the core of who we are, it's these lies that drive our behavior of lust. And this is why in Matthew 5, Jesus said that lust is adultery of the heart. And because of that, it's not as simple as fixing a behavior. That's the bad news. The good news is, comes from this passage in Ezekiel 11, verses 18 through 21. Ezekiel writes, They will return and remove all its vile images and detestable idols. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will move from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. The good news is that the gospel doesn't demand that we simply fix our behavior. 
The gospel says that God gives us a new heart. And he gives us the power of the Holy Spirit that changes our lust problem where it begins, our heart. It frees us from the bondage and the chains that that sin puts us in. What Jesus did through the cross and the resurrection, it's not just forgiveness of behaviors, but a new identity. It changes who we are as people. Check out what Paul says in Galatians 5, verses 16 through 18, and then in verse 24 and 25. He says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us hold in step with the Spirit. The good news of the gospel is that our flesh, this sinful heart that craves things that are contrary to God, has been nailed to the cross. And it no longer defines who we are, and it no longer controls us anymore. We are now God's children, and we have the power through the Holy Spirit to live differently. That's the good news of the gospel. So now that God has changed our identity and made us new people, our job now is to pursue real intimacy. And I believe that starts with intimacy with God. And I think one of the best ways, if you're struggling with these things, to start is confession. Tell God your struggles with sin and share details. God knows what you're going through. He knows everything you've done. He knows every thought you've ever had. He knows these things. You're not going to shock him. He's just waiting for you to let him in to those places so that he can begin working on it. Be real with him and embrace the forgiveness that he offers you. We read this promise in 1 John 1 verse 9 that says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will purify us from all unrighteousness. So we see start with confession. Then prioritize your relationship with God. Share your feelings and your emotions with him. As you go about your day, if something really good happens, say, God, that was awesome. Thank you. If something frustrating happens, share how you're feeling with God and ask him to be there and help you through it. As you go about your day, pursue that intimacy with God because intimacy with God is the key to intimacy with others. Uh, Gary Chapman, a famous Christian author, wrote, No husband and no wife will experience high-level intimacy unless they are also experiencing oneness with God. The broken relationship with God is the reason for fear and shame as we stand face-to-face with each other. If we can face God, knowing that we have confessed our sins and have been forgiven, then we have the potential of facing our mates with that same openness. Keeping our integrity with God is essential to experiencing genuine intimacy in a marriage relationship and with relationships with others. 
The second way that we pursue real intimacy, the first was with God, the second is with other believers of the same gender. One of the greatest assets that I have found in my life overcoming my sinful struggles is with the relationships that I have with other godly men who I have the ability to share the struggles that I'm facing and the things I'm, I'm going through. And John has been one of those friends, the guy who made that eat the onion. He's been one of the great friends that has helped me grow a lot and overcome some of my struggles. But these, these guys that have been in my life, they know what I'm going through, yet they love me, they accept me. And at the same time, they challenge me to be a better man. And I've seen so much growth in my life because of the relationships that I've pursued with other men, that I've opened myself up and allowed myself to be intimate, being open and honest with them. And that has helped immensely. And this is the, one of the main reasons that we are encouraging you to get into a huddle, which is a group of two to four people of the same gender who meet regularly to grow as a follower of Christ. And as you build relationships with them and get to know them and are comfortable with them, you can start opening up and sharing your, your struggles with sin and allow them to be an ally in your war against sin. I also think this can be a great place to practice what Jesus talks about at the end of Matthew uh, 5, 29 through 30, which is what we're discussing today. He says, If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. And if your right hand causes you to stumble... Cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. Jesus is not telling us here to remove body parts, right? What Jesus is saying is that we need to take even drastic measures to get rid of the sin in our lives. And I believe for us today, we sometimes need to take drastic measures to get the sin out of our lives. One of the ways that you can do that is through things like internet accountability. If you're struggling with pornography on the internet, install something called Covenant Eyes on your computer. It's a program that filters what you watch, and it sends sites that set off, like saying, like it, it rates the sites and, and says, hey, this is not a good site, and it sends an email to your accountability partner, right? Um, there's another one for cell phones called MobiSip. Um, that works the same way, right? Some people, if, if you're really struggling with these things, sometimes giving up the internet or getting rid of your cell phone is a drastic measure that you need to take. Um, another great way with other believers is to read books on these topics and, and grow with, with another. Um, one of the... the Two really good books. There's a, a man's version and a woman's version called Every Man's Battle and Every Woman's Battle. These books are excellent. They really address this topic of, of lust and pornography and all these things um, in a very deep way and give very good practical tips for how to get rid of that stuff. Um, and finally, uh, with other believers, one of the, the great ways that I have found is that when I'm facing temptation, I shoot a text to one of the guys, and I just let them know. And I'm, here's the thing that I've realized. A sin loves the darkness, right? 
when nobody else knows what we're doing, it's so much easier to invest our lives in sin. But it's amazing when you just simply let somebody else know I'm struggling, the temptation literally just evaporates because we don't want other people to know our sin. And when somebody else knows that we want to go there, we don't want to go there anymore. And that's, that's awesome. The third way to experience real intimacy if you're married is with your spouse. And I think the best place to start is with emotionally bonding with your wife. Start with the emotional level. My wife and I have been doing this really cool thing the past couple of weeks. Um, we call it three things. And what we do is... Uh, when we're in bed at night, just before we go to bed, we always say three things that happened during our day, and we share how each thing made us feel. And where that's important is we're not just sharing information with each other. We're starting to share our emotions with each other, and we're allowing the other person, revealing how we feel and how we operate. And that's one of the, a, a great way that Chris and I have seen um, us grow in this area of intimacy. Um, other things that you can do is start dating each other again. Fight to take care of your spouse's needs above your own. Pray together. Read books together. Uh, One of the books that I've been reading in my quiet time, um, I don't know, I started it maybe a month ago, is called Now You're Speaking My Language by Gary Chapman. He wrote uh, The Five Love Languages, and he also wrote the book on anger that Brandon referenced uh, last week. Um, his, the main thesis of this book is that the key to intimacy is good communication. And he teaches you how to have good communication with your spouse. Pretty much every chapter that I've read this book has been eye-opening and amazing. He clearly comes from a place where he has witnessed a lot of what he's talking about, and he is very um, good at sharing it. So I highly recommend this book by Gary Chapman, Now You're Speaking My Language. Um, So that's the encouragement, is to pursue real intimacy. Now, in 2000, I found my favorite band. They were called Skillet, and they used to play these guitars back then called GMP guitars, and I thought they were the coolest guitars ever, right? And I've been wanting to have one for, well, 14 years now, right? And about three years ago, I decided that I was going to start saving up my money and buy a GMP guitar, right? So I put all my birthday and Christmas money and my allowance money away. Um, yeah, you're laughing at my allowance. My wife and I budget money into our, well, budget for each of us to have money that we can just spend on ourselves guilt-free. It's, it's been a really cool thing. But anyway, um, I've been choosing not to go to Starbucks and buy myself a coffee, but instead I save all that money toward a guitar. And I've been doing that for about three years, and I was just about ready to um, call up the company. They, make, they only make custom guitars that people order like on demand, basically. You tell them everything you want, and they make it for you, right? And I was just about ready to do that, and like I started to ask some other people, because I've never seen a left-handed guitar of these. I've only seen right hand. I'm a lefty. Um, I've never seen a lefty, but I had called them, and they said they could make one. So I'm, I was really excited. And um, About a week ago, maybe a week and a half ago, I looked on eBay, and there was a left-handed GMP guitar for a third of the price. 
And I was like, oh, that's awesome. Um, long story short, nobody else bid on it. I ended up getting it for a third of the price, right? Um, on Monday, he shipped it out of San Diego, California, and I checked about every five seconds to see where it was, right? I was super excited uh, to get this new guitar, and um, it was scheduled to come on Friday uh, via FedEx. And I have kind of the, these um, harsh feelings toward FedEx because I feel like FedEx typically delivers to my house a couple hours later than UPS does. So when I saw that it was FedEx, I'm like, oh, man, now I'm going to have to wait you know, extra time. A few extra hours I'm going to have to wait, and this is so not cool, right? And at about 9.30 on, on um, Friday morning, I'm talking to my wife, and I was like, I think I'm just going to go you know, do some work around the house because it's probably going to be another like seven hours or so before this guitar gets here. Well, 30 seconds later, there was a knock on the door. And I burst through the kitchen and tore down the stairs, and I got through there, and I did my best to not, like, tackle the FedEx guy. And I, I signed for it, and I brought the guitar in, and I got out of scissors, and I started unlocking it, right? Or, um, and I started to take it out of the box, and it was in this case. And I go over, and I'm so excited, and I flip this, this thing up to unlock the, this, and I go over here, and I realize the guitar is locked. I tore through the packaging, and there's no key. I had to take it to a locksmith and have him get my guitar out. But once I did, the pictures of it did not do it justice. I mean, look at this thing. Some of us are like this guitar case. We are locked in our struggles with sin. But praise be to Jesus, who through the power of the cross and his resurrection has unlocked us. And we now have the ability to open up the case and experience the beauty of true intimacy that God made for us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful for the cross that even though we struggle with sin and it brings us down and it causes division in our relationship with others, Lord, you love us anyway and you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross to give us a new heart and new identity so that we could be free from our sin. Lord, I pray that you would help us now in our new identity, to pursue true intimacy with you, with other believers, and with our spouses. And that you would help us to see how awesome this gift of relationships really is. Amen.